We're going to open our Bibles to John chapter 18 in a second. Um, if you want to get there, that's great. Uh, I just want to catch everybody up. If you haven't been with us before, hey, thanks for visiting us. We, we're glad you're here. Um, we're in a study of the book of John. We're going all the way through, um, kind of straight in order, honestly. Uh, but we did, we did skip a couple chapters, right? Everybody aware of that? What were they? Anybody paying attention? What, what did we skip? 15 and 16, we're going to come back on that. That's some of the greatest teaching on the Holy Spirit. So I'm saving that to the end when we get to uh, um, done with uh, chapter 21. Um, we'll come back to that. But uh, John, the theme for the year is follow me, right? Follow me. And uh, John 10:27 says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That was the verse that God had me on last summer when he planned this series. And uh, I just got to tell you, I'm so excited uh, to take this journey. But it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's kind of, even the slide is kind of like, Ugh. It's kind of gruesome, isn't it, just to think about it. So uh, I'm going to be talking about suffering today. It's not my favorite topic. How about you? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand if it's your favorite topic. Uh, nope, nobody, nobody has their hand up. All right. So, uh, you know, I'd like to preach on joy or peace or, or grace or, I don't know, faith, all those kind of things. But, but this is why we preach chapter by chapter verse by verse. And so if you're in John chapter 18, um, let me just set this up. Um, today, our passage points to suffering. And if you've ever suffered before, whether pain or betrayal or persecution, any of that, then you know what I'm talking about. Have you? No, you might be able to raise your hand on this. Have you ever suffered? Yeah. Maybe you're experiencing some suffering right now. Maybe that hand goes up just a little bit slow, like, eh, I don't want to raise it even. Um, but I think we're all familiar with pain and suffering, with persecution, um, even betrayal at times, and Jesus is as well. Second um, Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, kind of proves my point that we all experience suffering. It says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, I'm assuming you're desiring to live a godly life because you're here at church, so I'm just going to lump you into that category. Um, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will suffer. That's not fun. It's not fun to think about. Um, it's not fun to um, experience suffering. But suffering is part of the Christian life. And so as your pastor, I want to prepare you for that. I want to get you ready. And um, I, I've suffered um, I've actually been reading this book, which I'll reference uh, later, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's about lament, and it's really how to handle suffering in a, in a, in a great way. So um, I would just recommend you pick that book up, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Again, I'll reference it uh, later in the message. Um, as well, we're going to have communion today because it's going to talk about the cup of suffering. And I know many people like to like, kind of know that ahead of time so they can kind of get themselves prepared. So I just want to say that at the end of our service, we're going to be taking communion. All right, let's look at the verses. Surrendered to suffering. The title of the message today is Surrendered to Suffering. 
I mean, just kind of like open your hands up and say, okay, God, if this is what you have for me, I'm willing. I'll go there um, because I know that you went there. So let me read it for, for you from John chapter 18. Uh, why don't you follow along with me? If you're there, say you're there. Awesome. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, all the words that we've studied and the prayer that he just finished praying, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden. Anybody know the name of the garden? Gethsemane. Okay, the other three Gospels talk about this. Which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met them there. Met, met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured, that's an interesting word, procured, what, do you know what that means? Grabbed, seized, received a band of soldiers, literally a cohort, and some officers, temple temple police, from the chief priests and Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and the other uh, gospels say clubs and weapons. Then Jesus, underline this in your Bible, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. And said, I just want to read that again. We serve a God that knew exactly what he was doing. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. That's not really how they said it. Because if you read the Greek, it's like they said it like it was a swear word. You know, people swear they kind of like, put some emphasis on it, don't they? Like Jesus of Nazareth. Ugh. Nazareth. Gross. Jesus said to them, I am. I'm going to leave off the he because the Greek does. I don't want to hinder your confidence in the scriptures. I am he, I am. It's the same thing, but I am makes a difference because John has been proving the point that Jesus is I am. He is God. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Wants to make sure you know it. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. What? I mean, I don't know if you read the scriptures, but when you get to something like that, you got to be like, what just happened? I mean, did he have bad breath? Or is this straight power? I love that Brent kind of had us pause at the end of our service and say, hey, the name of Jesus has power. When Jesus opens his mouth, there's power. And the worlds were formed, right? At the name, at the voice of Jesus. They fell over. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I am. 
So if you seek me, let these men go. How strategic. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I'm not sure why that's important, but John thinks it is. He might know him. Or maybe Malchus is in the church now when he writes this. I don't know why, but it's important. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? I just want you to underline that, the cup. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering, the cup of judgment? Shall I not be surrendered to the suffering? That's the title of the message, surrendered to suffering. See, Jesus was surrendered to suffering. I'm going to give you three things. And we can apply that to our lives too because we're apprenticing under Jesus, right? I want to be like Jesus. How about you? Okay, that was weak, church. I don't know if you don't like me. It doesn't matter if you do or don't. But when something like that gets said, you kind of got to respond, right? I mean, I mean, at that point, you're just like, I don't care if I like him or not. Like, I just got to say amen or you're right or whatever, right? When, when it's true, it's true, right? All right. Amen. Thank you. The cup of suffering. I want to apprentice. I want to be like Jesus. And Jesus suffered. Here, let me give it to you straight. Jesus suffered knowingly. That's the first thing. Write it down, knowingly. Now, there might be some fear in suffering, but since the Father had mixed and measured the contents of this cup of suffering, Jesus knew that he had nothing to fear. Do you know that God has mixed and measured all the suffering you'll go through in your whole life? And so you have nothing to fear. It doesn't feel good, but you don't have to fear it. Fear is not from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power, sound mind. So let's, let's wake up a little bit to the fact that we're going to go through suffering, and Jesus knew, knowingly, went through suffering. Look at it right there in verse 4, knowing all that would happen to him. See, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. You're not going to see it in this chapter. Uh, I forgot all my visuals at home. Are you good with that? I'm just remembering that I did it now. So now I'm good with it too. I had a coloring page. Can you see the coloring page? All going to be visuals that are really invisible. Coloring page, you see it? All right. Um, So what happens is, you have this coloring page, and you have this picture, and it's like Jesus in the garden, right? And, and so, like little kids, when you would color it, you would color all the olive trees, and you would color, you know, Jesus on his knees, and drops of blood, you know, and you'd cover, well, kids wouldn't color that, forget that. All right, and uh, so that's not on the picture. All right, but you would color this up, and, and that's what's happening in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, He's giving you the Garden of Gethsemane. He's saying, Jesus three times went to his father and said, if this can pass, if there's another way for you to save the world without me going to the cross, figure it out quick, God, you know? Because I'd sure, I'd sure really appreciate it if, if I didn't have to go through with this. 
Yes. And, and so there's this picture. But here's what John does. Because he's read all these accounts and because he knows what's happened, he's like, hey, let me give you the rest of the story. I know this isn't probably popular anymore, but Paul Harvey... The rest of the story, right? So this is the rest of the story right here in this passage. And he's kind of coloring it in. And he's like, hey, let me color outside the lines. All right? Like, you didn't have this on your picture. Let me give you all of this stuff. And so that's what he's doing right here. The Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Gethsemane means oil press. All right? And they would take these olives and they would press them under pressure. And there would be oil. What a fitting picture. That's what Jesus was going through. He was going through the pressure of knowing what was to come. Every hammer to nail, every spear in the side, everything. He knew it was coming. And yet he went through it. He walked straight into it. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? All right. Let me catch you up. Um, there's a couple pictures here that I want to show you. I did bring these visuals because I couldn't lose them at home. All right, so the Brook Kidron, right? It's to the east of Jerusalem. It's right down in there. And you, and you just kind of look across, and there's this valley. There we go. There's this valley that, that it, you know, you come out of the city, and there's this valley. And then you look up from this valley and be wet during the winter season. You know, it's a brook. But in the summer, it's dry right? And, and you would come out of the city to the east and you would look up and you would see the Mount of Olives, right? So that's what this looks like. Next slide. Bam. Okay. So you see the Mount of Olives. Probably didn't have all those houses back then. I'm just saying. And then he walks into, on the Mount of Olives, this garden. And it says in the passage that they entered the garden. So were there walls? Kind of seems like there might have been. I don't know. But they entered into a certain space, and it was a space that they were used to coming to. It was a space they'd been to before, and Judas knew it too. And so Jesus, knowing that Judas knew where to find him, was like, this is where I'm going to be. Come find me. I'm not playing hide and seek. I'm just going to be here, right? So you can just consider Judas, right? He procures a band of soldiers. Do you know what a band of soldiers is? It's a cohort. Do you know how much a cohort is? A thousand soldiers, okay? You're like, a thousand soldiers? Well, a thousand is a cohort, but sometimes they would take 600, and the least they would take is 200. So let's just go to the least. There's 200 Roman soldiers coming to get him. Dun, 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 dun. Okay? And then you have the temple police, and then you have some chief priests and so on tagging along too. Why so much fanfare? Oh, they don't want them slipping through the crowd this time, right? They're bringing torches, right? They're bringing lanterns. Now, if you know, you probably wouldn't know. I just read it this week. Like, it's full moon. Did you see the moon last night? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. You didn't need no torch or lantern to see around, right? And, and it was, it's like that at Passover, right? It's full moon. And so they didn't need all that. What it's telling us, what it's showing us is that they expected to play Where's Waldo, right? 
They expected to have to like seek and find Jesus. They thought he would run and hide, but he didn't. That's the second point, willingly. Jesus suffered willingly. It says in verse 4, if you look at it, he came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Are you looking for someone? Can I help you? Just think about that. Now, don't forget the first point. What was the first point? He knew who they were looking for. So he he, he could have just said, I am, right? But he needed them to know. And there's another thing, because the next point will share that. He wanted to make sure that they were like coming for him and him only. So he said, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. I am. So he went willingly. Jesus suffered not only knowingly, he suffered willingly. Do you see the courage in Jesus? Willing to step up into your place and my place. This thing called substitutionary atonement. We're going to celebrate communion in a little bit. His body broken for us. His blood spilled for us. Him for me. Right? And it's not just that Jesus died for us. He died instead of us. Right? He took my place on the cross. I deserve to die. He died in my place. That's astounding. So the mob comes. They're ready for resistance. They have weapons. They think he's going to run and hide, so they have lanterns. And then you see this. You see him say, I am. And John wants you to know that he hasn't forgot about Judas. Judas is in the other uh, passages of Scripture, kissing Jesus on the cheek. Why doesn't he mention it here? The point's not about Judas. John's not trying to prove that Judas is a bad guy. John's trying to prove to you that Jesus is God. That you may believe that Jesus is God. That he's the son of God. And that by believing in him, you may have life. Eternal life. That's what John's trying to figure out. He's like, do you know Jesus? And so what does he say? He says, hey, Judas was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, he's going to betray him. But when Jesus said to them, I am, here's what I want you to know. Don't forget about the kiss. Here's what I want you to know. They drew back. They fell to the ground. It was like dominoes. Now, some people want to say, well, yeah, somebody tripped, and then they all tripped. Right? It was like dominoes. We got Roman soldiers here, man. You think they're not like spread out like, you know, like, you know, they're, 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 they're on the ready, man. They're not just all on top of each other. They're trying to like wide net this thing. When they all fall down, this is an act of God Almighty. So if you were looking to come to church and say, man, I wonder if God's powerful. I wonder if God could show up in my life today. I wonder if there's anything about Jesus that'll just make my hair on the back of my neck stand up and make me get goosebumps, right? If this doesn't do that, check your spiritual pulse. 
This is Jesus. This is the one we serve. And he is so powerful that when he says his name, I am, they drew up and fell to the ground. Here's what I want you to know about this. You can trust that Jesus didn't have to go to the cross with them. You can trust that he went willingly. Jesus didn't have to go with a bunch of guys that were laying on the ground. He chose to do that. He chose willingly to suffer for you and me. That's part of the journey to the cross. It starts right here in the garden. Jesus suffered knowingly. Jesus suffered willingly. And Jesus suffered strategically. Now, I don't know about you and your suffering, but I never suffer strategically. <laughs> There's just nothing strategic about my suffering. I threw my back out, and then I had seven years of like, that didn't feel very strategic, and then I had back surgery. And then I was like, uh, I was just telling my group guys, like I was loading the trailer the other day because we didn't have enough people to pull the trailer. So I pulled with my, my uh, um, neighbor's truck. And uh, when I pulled, there's these, these big like cones. I mean, a lot of cones. I don't know how many there is, but enough that if you pick it up, it's going to hurt you. All right. And so I picked it up. I set it outside because that's what we're supposed to do. And then I was like, oh, I'm smart. I'll put them back in so that I can drive the trailer so nobody has to carry them because it was pretty heavy. And so I picked them up again, and I was like, <laughs> what did I just do? Okay, when I hurt my back before, I used to like kind of mental list, like no more this, no more this, no more this, no more this. Before long, it was like, don't put your shoes on. Don't walk. That's when you know you need to have surgery, right? Like when you get to the list where you're like, don't breathe wrong. Okay. That's, you know, there's nothing strategic about that. <laughs> well, I got one thing on my list that I'm not going to do. I'm never going to pick up those cones again. One. One thing on my list right now. That's it. Just one. Not picking those cones up again. I'm at least that strategic with pain. I know that that hurt. I'm not going to feel that again. That's as strategic as it gets for me. But Jesus, now I want you to see it. Whom do you seek? He knew all that was going to happen. He said, what do you want to see? Who, 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 who are you looking for? Oh, it's me. They all fall down. I think they knew it was him. Why does he say it a second time? Is he like, come on, guys. Like, No, he's not like waiting. He's intentional. He's strategic. He says, hey, who are you looking for? Because he doesn't want them taking anyone else but him. His disciples are not ready to suffer the way he's ready to suffer. And he's told them that a couple times. Remember when James and John were like, hey, can we sit on your right and left hand? Remember that? I think it's Matthew 20. Hey, can we sit on your right and left hand? And Mom, I think it was, that was like, hey, my boys would really like to be special. So if they could be special, that would be cool, right? And, and, and so mom said that. And so then these guys are like, Jesus says, you're not ready, right? Are you ready to drink the cup that I'm going to drink from? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're ready. And he's like, well, you're going to drink the cup, but not yet, okay? And as far as who's sitting on my right and left hand, that's what my dad's deciding that, right? Not me. He's 
strategic. He knows they're not ready to suffer. He knows that Peter, if he has to go through it now, it ain't going right. But later he's going to die on a cross upside down, willingly, just like Jesus. James, he's going to die, just like Jesus. These men that are not ready now are going to be ready later. And Jesus knows it. Let me tell you this. Jesus isn't going to give you anything you can't handle. There's a verse for that, right? 1 Corinthians 10.13. He's not going to tempt you, try you. He's not going to give you more than you can, more than you can handle. He knows what you can take. And so Jesus, knowing that the opposition was coming and wanting to save his loved ones from what he was going to go through, at least for now, Jesus answered, I told you I am, so if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I mean, he just spoke it in the, first, the last chapter, in chapter 17, verse 12. Of those who you have given me, I have lost not one. Everything's going really well right now. I wish I had my second visual, which is a machete from Nicaragua. It's kind of like a sword. And everything's going really well right now, and then Peter goes, you know? Jesus is in control. We got strategic happening. Everything's good. And then, you know? And here's the thing. You got to know this. From the other passages, they asked him if they should draw the sword and fight. They asked Jesus, go, go read that. They asked. You're like, where do I go read that? Okay, well, here, let me tell you. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. Those are the other three times these are mentioned. So he draws a sword, and the worst part about this is Jesus didn't reply yet, so why are you hacking, right? Like, why are you taking the sword out? Because they asked him, like, hey, should we draw the sword? Should we fight for you? Peter's a little like, I don't know, maybe he's droggy, waking up from sleep, and he's like, you know. You're like, why do you think that, Steve? Go ahead, say it. Because he did not strike the target, are you trying to cut off somebody's ear? Like, if you're going to go after, like, 200-plus guys, your first one better count, right? If you're just hitting a guy in the ear, you got problems right now, all right? So that's why I think he might have just been a little like <laughs> getting the, the, the sleep out of his eye and like, oh, you know, what's going on here? Because, because he missed his target. Good thing, because that would have been a really cool thing. Guy gets his head cut off and Jesus is like, here you go. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> but Jesus, now think about this. You don't see this here either, but Jesus healed the guy's ear. And it doesn't talk about he picked it up out of the dirt and brushed it off either. It just says he put his hand to his ear. And there was a new ear. His last miracle before the cross. Why? Why did he heal the guy's ear? To save Peter's rear. Because Peter can't handle what's coming. The punishment for that, he can't handle right now. And so I'm telling you, Jesus suffers 
strategically. He knows what he's doing. And he's not willing that any of these should be taken into custody or should be killed with him because he wants them to go and spread the good news. And they're going to have to spread the good news through lots of suffering. And that's coming. Here it is. How about us? Peter. I don't know, maybe you're like Peter, right? Just careless a little bit. Sometimes I am. Here's the thing. Peter, he made a mistake. But Jesus' sovereign will was not thwarted by that, right? He used what Peter did. And even that suffering got turned into glory. Here's what I want to say to you, and you might want to write it down. We don't use material swords to fight spiritual battles. I feel like God wanted me to say that to you today. We don't use material swords. We don't fight with our fists. We fight on our knees. Don't forget that. What was Jesus doing while Peter was sleeping? He was praying. He was praying. Not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. And therefore, he was ready to suffer knowingly, willingly, strategically. Peter fought the wrong enemy. He used the wrong weapon. He had the wrong motive, and he accomplished the wrong result. And yet Jesus, in control of it all, when Peter was resisting openly the will of God, Jesus used it. He used that suffering and that pain for his purposes and for his glory. So that ought to make you trust him. So let's get to it now. None of the suffering is wasted in this passage. And neither is your suffering or my suffering. Are we clear on that? Church, are we clear on this? Your suffering is not going to get wasted. The pain of the past is not going to be a waste. When I suffer, and I will, here's three things. When I suffer, I am following Jesus. Again, 2 Timothy 3.12, I just come back to it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When I suffer, I'm following Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples were arrested, warned, threatened, and what did they do? Uh, We're just glad we were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And then in chapter 5, they were arrested again, imprisoned, They wanted to kill them, and they beat them. You go to the end of chapter 5, verse 40 through 42, it says, they counted it joy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. We're just following our Lord and Savior. We're just doing what he did. That's how strategic Jesus was. He suffered to the point of death so that his disciples would know we have to suffer to the point of death too. Acts 8 and 9 Saul, breathing threats on the church, right, was persecuting the church until Jesus said, showed up on the road to Damascus, said, follow me. That changed everything. And pretty soon, Paul is preaching in chapter 14, and he gets stoned. You guys know that story? 
Go look that passage up. Chapter 14, verses 21 and 22 give you what he's going to do as a ministry structure after he got stoned. He says this. I'll give it to you straight. Preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. All right, we're doing that. That's good. All right. Second, strengthen those disciples, encourage those disciples, and remind them that suffering is a real thing. It says that through many trials or tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's what it says. Acts 14, 22. So when we're strengthening, I'm strengthening you today. I'm encouraging you today, right? By preaching on suffering. What? Yeah, because through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says. Like two verses after he gets stoned. This is, in chapter 12 of Acts, they wrote about James getting killed by Herod. And then Peter got thrown into prison, right? And then Peter escaped. That was awesome. And then later he died upside down on a cross. Because he didn't want to get crucified like Jesus. That's bold. I'm reading all this and I'm saying, I, I, I am following Jesus when I've been persecuted. Here's what I want to ask you. What will be your story? What will they write about you? What will they write about me? What will they write about Lift Church? About our suffering? What will the stories be? Right? I mean, just think about that. Acts is like this big, long litany of like, and they suffered, and they suffered, and they suffered, and they suffered, and the gospel went forth through the suffering. And I look at it, and I go like, what about us? As we suffer, what will our story be? What's it going to look like when people write the story of this church and of you and of me? Will they say we follow Jesus? When I'm suffering, I'm following Jesus. Two, when I'm suffering, I am a powerful example to others. When we suffer well for Jesus, there is power on display for all to see. I'd like to tell you a story of a guy I met. I would call him my friend now. I've only met with him a couple times. His name is Dan. He used to work at the Mayo Clinic. Does that ring a bell with anybody? A few. And he was at the Mayo Clinic one day, and he was seeing a, uh, helping a patient, and uh, he found out that they had some needs, and so he was trying to help them. He was telling me his testimony of this, and I was like, well, did you give him your personal information? He's like, no, I did not do that. You can't do that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> good, good part of the story. And, and he's like, but I got put on some kind of leave, and, you know, all because I was just trying to, like, help these people. I didn't do anything wrong. I was just trying to be like Jesus. But you got to know the rest of the story. Dan quit his job and started a ministry called The Landing Place for people who struggle with homelessness. See, when I suffer, I am a powerful example to others. Like, you can suffer for the name of Jesus Christ because you want to help people in Jesus' name. And God's going to use your mess to be your message, right? Whatever you're going through, he's just like, here you go. Let me tell you what we're going to do with this. Now we're going to have a ministry, and we're going to see people find Jesus. 
uh, I told you I would reference this book. I just want to go to the, um, the first thing that caught my eye in here is the foreword. When a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed. I told my sister, just close the drapes, turn out the lights, and shut the door. My paralysis was permanent, and inside I died. Do you know who I'm talking about? You don't have to be in a wheelchair to identify. You already know that sad situations sometimes don't get better. Problems don't always get solved. Conflicts don't get fixed. Children die, couples divorce, and ultimately death rocks our world and shakes our faith. It's a true story. We see it. It's devastating. She goes on to say that she got sick and tired of being depressed and laying in bed. And so she cried out to God with this prayer. God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. That's the point you get to. You know when you have the flu and you're like, I think I'm going to die, I think I'm going to die. And then you're like, I don't think I'm going to die, but I wish I could. That's the point when you're really there. Show me how to live. This is Johnny Erickson Tata who forwarded the book on this guy. This caught my attention. This is how he starts the introduction. Learning to lament began on my knees. No, Lord, I pleaded. Please not this. It was 2004, and my wife Sarah awakened me, concerned that something, wrong, uh, something was wrong with her pregnancy. A few days from her due date, she had not slept most of the night waiting for our in vitro, in utero um, baby to move. Hours of tapping her tummies, shifting positions, and offering tear-filled prayers only increased my wife's concern inside her womb, stillness. I cried out in prayer next to our bed. This guy's name is Mark. They went to the hospital. They found out through ultrasound that their baby was passed. And he began a journey of suffering. Now, these are real-life stories of people who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have been under pressure like Jesus Christ, and now their story is gold. Over time, our suffering, if we suffer well in Jesus' name, will be a powerful example to others. I am learning and growing from this book because this man went through this pain. I'm grateful for his pain. I'm grateful for his suffering because it's taught me how to pray a different prayer, a prayer of lament, complaining to God, which turns myself to the goodness and, the, and how grateful that I am that God even talks to me. It's amazing. I understand it's hard when we suffer. I think you understand that too. But I want to encourage you, and so I want you to turn over to 1 Peter, okay? Just turn over to 1 Peter quick. 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 4 talk about suffering and some of the best passages. So if you are struggling with suffering, you might want to go to these things. 
and be really encouraged. So I thought I'd just take you there briefly. I want to show it to you. You can put something, maybe your ribbon in there, and, and you can read the rest of the story. Verse 19 of chapter 2 says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you sin, you are beaten for it? When you endure... But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Do you know that about Jesus? He was sinless, and yet he died for your sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's what we're going to celebrate in communion in a second. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds By his suffering, you have been healed. For you were straying like a sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I have written down in my side right there, Peter's denial. Do you think he's thinking about that as he writes this? His denial, how he denied Jesus Christ. We're going to study that next week. And he's like, I was straying like a sheep. Deny, 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 rooster crows. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. Just think about that. I'll let you read chapter 4 on your own for sake of time. Here's the last point. Not only when I suffer am I following Jesus, and when I suffer I am a powerful example to others, but here's this. When I suffer, I am strengthening my faith. I am, there's a little bit of a play because you realize that you're not strengthening yourself, right? I am, as in Jesus, is strengthening my faith. Let's just get it clear. This isn't a pull yourself up by the bootstraps message, okay? That won't be preached here in Lift Church. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. What you can do is sit in the lap of your Savior And find strength to suffer well so that others might see and so that your faith will be built. So I thought we might take communion together to build our faith. Um, Maybe you could just write this passage down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 through 13. You could read this. This is Paul's story of suffering. How he was strengthened. And he gets to the end of it all and he says, I suffered and I had this thing. It was a thorn in the flesh, and he says, here's what God said to me. I asked him three times to remove it, but here's what he said. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the end of the story. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's what I came to church to tell you, loved ones. Suffering is not a bad thing. I know we think it's bad. I know it feels bad. But it shouldn't. 
Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ suffered knowingly. He knew he was going to suffer, and he did it anyway. He suffered willingly. He stepped right into it, and he suffered strategically. He suffered knowing that his suffering was the light of the gospel to those around him. And guys, I got to tell you, when I suffer, I am following Jesus. That's his example. And when I suffer, I am powerful as an example to others. And when I suffer, it strengthens my faith in Jesus' name. And so I just want to, you know, think about the cup of suffering right now. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. They're going to give you a cup. And they're going to give you a, 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 a piece of cracker, right? And, and we're just going to pass it out. And we're going to take it all together. Just get it in your hand. I want you to feel that. I want you to feel this, this weight of the blood of Christ and the body being broken, the suffering that he went through. We're going to go up to the crucifixion. I'm going to preach that in five weeks. But let's just feel it right now as we take communion. Let me give you uh, just a verse as they're handing it out. I'm going to just flip over to 1 John quick and give you a verse. It says in 1 John chapter 1, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that good news? That's good news. Let me read it for you again, just in case you miss it. If we confess our sins, which is what we're going to do right now, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we have all sinned. We all have something to confess right now. And when we confess it, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, he says in chapter 2, My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you might not sin. That's what we do, don't want to do is sin, right? But we do sin. And so he says this. But if any of you, anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. That's the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus shed blood not just for you. He shed it for all your friends. We can go tell them about Jesus this week. You're like, well, they might deny me. They might like say I'm an idiot. They might scoff at me. Yeah, that would be suffering. Like Jesus. And if you suffer well, that might be the thing, that the example, the powerful example they need to see that that doesn't thwart you. <laughs> that doesn't thwart me. Like, seriously, folks, if we're not going to invite people to church this time of year, it's like Super Bowl Sunday coming up. Easter's just around the corner. If we're not going to invite people now, we're never inviting people. So let's get out there, man. Let's put ourselves out there because Jesus did. He's cleansed us from our sin. We can go with boldness. The righteous are as bold as a lion. This last verse I'll put on the screen. And I'm just going to leave it up there as we take communion. For our sake, he made him, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was in that garden praying, Father, let this cup pass, and he hadn't sinned, not one time. It wasn't a sin for him to ask God, 
to let the cup pass because he asked according to the will of God. And he said, your will be done. So if we're suffering right now, and I have a feeling we probably a lot of us are, it's okay to say, God, what in the world are you doing? And still at the end of it, when we drink the blood of Christ, the body of Christ, we think about this, it's like, yeah, what he was doing is he's redeeming us. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to think about that as you're holding the body. This is a symbol broken for us. Jesus suffered for you and me. How strategic that one day he would know at this church you were holding this cracker remembering this body broken for you and that it might weigh on you just a little bit and that you might feel strengthened by it actually. Think about it. If Christ could suffer for us then truly we could suffer for him. His body broken for us. Let's do remembrance of him. Go ahead. His blood spilled for us. Shed for us. For me. For you. Let's do remembrance. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For our sake, he, he made him who him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. As you leave here, you are forgiven, you are free, you are righteous, you are holy in Jesus Christ's name. And that should feel awesome.